Girl stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit. Adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, with or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. Everybody, Bobby Doyle, class of 2010, fellow classmate of 2010, another playmaker, 2009 slot back, um, came to Navy as a quarterback, right? I did. And then uh, you were a direct guy, so we've had a few Naps guys on here, just like Lark, you were a direct, just like uh, Ross Pospisil as well. Yep. Um, you were the... JV MVP, Ricky Bobby Doyle. If you ain't first, you're last. Uh, yeah, we all remember that day. Now you're flying jets. You're flying Harriers, right? You're you're a Marine Corps um, pilot, flying the the Harriers yeah, like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger from that one movie where you know the first movie that everybody ever saw a jet go vertically. Yep, right? off a platform. So. True lies, man. That we, yep. True we lies. Forced, we forced whoever on the boat. We forced the whole. Uh, we forced the whole boat to watch the movie. Nice. So, um, I gotta ask: was was that some inspiration for you, watching True Lies back in the day, as a child? Dude, not at all, man. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, it was just by just by chance. Nice. Um, from from episode number one, Cameron describes Bobby as. You know, kind of the tough love guy, right? Um, you know, what kind of, you know, hey, you broke your leg. Bobby's going to be like, yeah, get, get back up, right? <laughs> hey, get over it. Not a big deal, but loyal, like super loyal enough. Like if you were going to bury a body, he would help you with that. So um, that, that's my intro for Bobby Doyle. From from a memory standpoint, we're going to jump into those. <laughs> Uh, Ose Asante, he had something to, to say about you and him, maybe driving BMWs during summer, summer school. Oh yeah, man. That was, uh, so we had just gotten our, uh, what was it? Like the, what was the loan? Like the career starter loan. Yep. So me and Ose were bored when they were like, Hey man, just want to go and drive fast cars. So a couple of what, like 19 year old, 20 year old kids just going to a luxury car dealership and whipping around Annapolis in cars that we can't afford. But as soon as we told them we were midshipping, we just got a loan. They're like, cool, you guys can do whatever you want. <laughs> so did so, you exploit that a little so, bit? Do you have some extra fun? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Ose, Ose's cruise around in the 7 Series. They took us up to like, uh, what's that uh, What's that crab place? Like right up on the river. Uh, if you're going like up near Severna Park, there's like a really popular crab place uh, yeah. on the river. It was like uh, Camp Cantler's. So this dude just uh, puts me and Ose in a seven series, whipping around backwoods of Annapolis uh, hillside and going to Cantler's, takes us out to lunch. And then we're just like, all right, bro, we'll see you later. Thanks for uh, nice. <laughs> thanks for the afternoon. So doing some joy riding, the uh, career starter loan, um, part of the, you know, Annapolis gig. That is definitely something to, um, 
to look forward to to do right and um you know another incentive to go to to navy football um mike matthews he said well how many players did your mom help through summer school Bro, I was honestly wondering if my mom was going to come up <laughs> on this. And I was hoping she would because otherwise otherwise, I was going to bring her up just because I feel like sh she deserves so much credit for not only helping me, which she was instrumental in helping me get through that place. But so what, what were the classes we had to take in summer school? It was like, uh, was it Naval History or Western Civilization? Yes. And, you know, we're just a bunch of dumb animals. We don't know. We're just getting through class trying to survive. And. Kathy happened to be an elementary history school teacher. Kathy's your mom. And social studies. Yep. So she she literally flew out like for a weekend or like a week prior to our final. And she would actually have like no shit study sessions with like me, Nick, Mike. Um, I don't remember who was all in the class, but literally our own. She'd have a whiteboard and doing everything for us so that we could pass classes. And Kathy was... <laughs> Not only for me, but for many of us, uh, helping us graduate and get through. All right, Ross. So you and Ross were TADs. You were GAs. After graduation, you and him, yep. um, you know, helped coach the team there for a little bit that next year before you had to, you know, actually split off and go do your uh, your service time. Um, yep. He inserted a, uh, a slide in the Navy football highlight film. Uh, with oh, maybe a man. oh yeah maybe, you know someone you might have gotten married to <laughs> but it didn't happen how'd that go oh man i completely forgot about that so i don't know how it started where the ross got engaged thing started but every pep rally would have i'd always take the mic and like hey, everyone just uh you know, just want to congratulate Ross, you know, Ross is engaged and we would do it, you know, every pep rally we would have army Navy. I remember the Texas bowl in the Texas bowl. It was funny because Ross being a, a temple, Texas product, apparently when we did it in Houston, it made the papers, uh, where Ross is from, where it's like, you know, local graduate Ross possible still is engaged. Yeah. And Texas finally, at, yep. finally. <laughs> and so finally at our banquet, uh, Ross got me back when uh, he put in the, in the banquet that uh, I had gotten engaged. And of course, I was dating Steph at the time. And uh, she Steph was who? at the banquet, Hebda. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's in my company, dude. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it just so happened. I was like, oh, well, Ross, you know what? I didn't think you'd actually uh, get me back, but uh, that was pretty good. And I got a lot of congratulatory uh, text messages, emails from alumni. It was great. Nice. You know what she's doing nowadays? I do kind of actually. So one of my students, um, one of my flight students, because I'm, I'm actually a flight instructor now, he, she was an OSO in Boston for a little bit, a little bit, and I don't even know how the conversation came up. But uh, actually, uh, another one of my students was a swimmer at the academy, and we were just kind of talking in the, uh, you know, back and forth. And one of these Marine students was like, he's like, you dated Steph Hebda? I'm like, yeah, why, bro? He's like. It's like, dude, she was my Oso. Like, she's the reason I'm a Marine. I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. But uh, nice. I'm not sure what she's yeah. doing now. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, she was she was kind of a badass. You know, I I looked up to her a little bit, and so that was cool. All right, uh, Jeff Lenar. Um, he said you were a five year guy through and through, like five and out. Serve my time, get out, and now look at you. You're dry, you're 
flying Harriers and you're a pilot, you're still in. Most people are still. Dude, that was the plan. That was the plan. And I feel like life's all about timing. It's kind of like my philosophy. And for me, timing has always worked opposite of like what I, how I thought it was going to go. Yes. And I actually planned to get out last summer, but because of COVID, I got out. Well, I had to accept continuation. So I don't know if continuation was a thing when you were when you were still in. No, tell us about continuation. How does continuation work? So continuation is a great deal if you know you're not going to stay in the Marine Corps. Um, so basically, if you if you make yourself non-promotable, like you know you're not going to get out. So I had like two options. I could get promoted, stay in the Marine Corps for you know an extra year, and then get out with nothing. Or I could just make myself non-promotable, and then when I get out, I get severance. You know, so I was like, "Yeah, that sounds better." Because I had friends that got out, and they're like, "Yeah, dude, I got nothing for it." Whereas now I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna get a check, which will be nice for the transition. And so, because the Marine Corps is so short of aviators, they're like, "We got to find a way to keep these dudes around." They offer what's called continuation, to where basically you won't promote uh, for. for three years, but it's basically one more set of three-year orders. And then that's kind of your no later than date to separate. So I'm like a little over a year into that. So I've got about a year and a half left before I'm officially like no questions asked, separated from active duty. Is there a financial incentive in that or is it just, you know? Yeah, you, yeah, you'll get, you'll get separate. So no, so it's, it's all, it's, for me, it's strictly financial because it's Title 10. So because I'm getting fired from the Marine Corps because of the up or out policy of you don't promote, we're kicking you out. Yeah. I get a basically a percentage based on active time served of my base pay. So I'll, basically because of accepting continuation, I'll get out with a check for like 100 grand, which is a lot better than getting out as a major for nothing, essentially. Heck yeah, I've never gotten a check for 100 grand. So sounds good to me. Yeah, it, it's a good kept secret, and the person who told me about it was was Kyle Bookout. Which nice. when we get to like the progression of career, Kyle was the guy who kind of saved my my uh, military and Marine Corps life, if you will, because awesome. he put me in a really good spot. I got to get him yeah. on here soon. Um, Bobby is a um, slot back by trade. Corey Finnerty was his partner in crime. Over all the years, same class, same, uh, you know, problems, same mentors, same stuff. And Corey Finnerty said that um, y'all had interesting sleeping arrangements after bowl games. I don't know what that means. Maybe you could tell me about that. All right. So it gets weird. It's actually funny because Corey and I, uh, we watched the game together last weekend and we were, we were talking about this as well. So Corey and I had not necessarily a habit because we just had, we got into situations to where Corey and I would like, we had to wake up in the same bed together multiple times or we slept in the same bed together because once was because of Jimmy Dryden. I don't know if you ever heard the, the Eagle Bank Jimmy Dryden story. I didn't. Tell us. But uh, Corey and I, oh, bro. So. Yeah. Let's go into it. So we all go out one night, you know, Eagle Bank Bowl. This is what, junior year? Yep. 
everyone's booming. I think Lark, Lark wins a chugging contest. It's a, it's a great night. We get back to the, we get back to the hotel and the, the front desk lady happens to stop me and Corey. And they're like, uh, they're like, Hey, you guys are with the team, right? Like, yeah, why? What's going on? They're like, like one of your teammates is running around on the fourth floor naked. Mm. And like out of a movie, Corey and I look at each other and we're just like, Jimmy. So we go up to like the fourth floor, whatever floor it was. And thankfully, Alex Horn found him Thanks. and was like in the hallway, like looking for help. And so he sees me and Corey and he's like, oh, he's in your class. You guys deal with him. So he at least like gives Jimmy a pair of shorts. Yeah. We get Jimmy back to uh, to our room, and then I don't know if it was the same for you guys, but do you remember in the hotel room there was like these giant floor to ceiling walls or uh, mirrors in the uh, in the hotel room that we were in? Yeah. And Jimmy was like, "I got to get back to my room with Mike because he roomed with Matthews." Nice, good call. We didn't know where, like where the room was. Yeah, we couldn't get in touch with Mike, so we're like, "Well, shit, we gotta we gotta figure out a way to get Jimmy to stay here." So it was either him or me had to pretend to be Mike and like get Jimmy into bed, convincing him to like, Hey man, it's us. Like I'm Mike getting to bed. So finally we get Jimmy into one of the beds. So Corey and I are like, well, there's nowhere else to sleep. I guess we got to get in bed together and go to sleep. <laughs> and then we wake up the next morning. We wake up the next morning and Jimmy's gone. And we're just like, Oh God, we had one job to, you know, make sure Jimmy was here in the morning and he's gone. We go down to breakfast and Jimmy's just sitting there, just looking like a bag of ass. Like, well, at least he made it. So yeah, it worked least... out in the end. But <laughs> we, we wake up in the same bed together, like, what the, what, what the fuck, man? <laughs> it's funny how those things work, where you know the end state goal actually works. Uh, but yeah, everything you have to do in between, and you know, point A to point Z, um, you know, is a mystery. So. All right. Uh, last one from Finn. And, and I'm really excited about this one because Coach Munkin now is uh, killing it at Army. Um, yep. And, you know, while there are opportunities still for, for Army and Coach Munkin's probably working through those, um, Finn described a film session with Trey Hines. Um Maybe we were freshmen, maybe we were sophomores. I can't remember exactly, but he said there was a fun film session there with Coach Munkin, specifically for Trey Hines. And it's, you know, I feel like we talked about this last weekend, and I actually don't remember it as well as Corey does. Um, all I like barely remember is Trey and Munkin getting into it pretty fucking heavily, which. I mean, you. I don't know how much you dealt with with Munkin because were you were you a scout team linebacker freshman year? Uh, a little bit. I never. You know, the times that Munkin talked to me was like, "Hey, uh, I need you to give me this look a couple times." I'm like, "Yeah, right, no problem, not a big deal." Um, other than that, so, I didn't think Munkin was too much of a badass. No, he was kind of a cunt, if I had to say it, like put it lightly. <laughs> you know, like if I had to like yeah. really give him like a nice. A nice general term, but a tell good term. How, like great, hell, hell of a tell, coach. Hell of a coach. That's how you um, really feel, dude. I will. I will tell stories for days about Jeff Munkin. Uh, I hate it. It was a love hate relationship, but I don't know who I told the day he got the West Point job. I was like, bro, We're this screwed. quote unquote decade is out. 
this decade of dominance is over because they're about to turn the fucking page when no Jeff doubt. took over there. Can I insert a story here? I have a. Uh, oh yeah. So my uh, SVP of of manufacturing was a West Point guy, and uh, as, no soon as, as soon as that announcement was made, I was like, because because we always went back and forth on Army Navy. And maybe had the uh, mm -hmm. the trophy every single year, and then since that announcement was made, I was like, "It's over." <laughs> that bro, guy's gonna bro, get I'll, it I'll to this point, and he is going to knock it out of the park. And he did, dude. And 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 I'll tell you. And as much as I hate to admit how good of a coach Jeff is, like what I'll tell you is, he adopts the culture of where he is to a level that's unsurpassed. So. You, you remember PJ? PJ didn't really give a fuck about the Naval Academy. He's like, ah, whatever, man. It's a Naval Academy. Yeah, it's where I'm at. So I visited there, and Munkin took me and my dad around the yard. He knows more about the Naval Academy than most, than 95% of the graduates. Yeah. So much so that I asked him, I was like, I was like, dude, did you graduate from here? Like, what's going on? He's like, no, man, I just love it. And I guarantee you, he does the same shit at West Point, yeah. and they just eat it up. And that's why he runs that administration like just under his finger because he adopts that culture and just breathes it day in and day out, which is what makes him great for the service academy. So he's the picture perfect service academy coach, to be honest. So, you know, a lot of people argue with people that, you know, adopt a culture. They think that, Oh, they're that, that guy's just kissing ass. Yep. What do you say about that with Jeff Munkin? It's not though. Like that dude, it, he, he literally breathes it. Like, I, I don't know how to say it. Like, he, there's no fake fake show with him. He is literally that dude where he's 100% all in to what he's in, and he ingrains himself into the things that he's doing, which at the end of the day, the Surface Academies makes you just above the above the rest. Because, you know, at Air Force, I think Troy Calhoun's a graduate, right? I believe. Okay. Well, he definitely and. And so I think he's a graduate. Same thing with his uh, with his O coordinator is they're they're graduates, so like they know the deal, they know all that. Jeff's a complete outsider who takes the responsibility to understand what his players are going through, and I think that's the difference between the tr the ways that the that the uh, the two teams have gone in the past several years is a product of that. Because don't get me wrong, like I love Coach Neamont and everything, but like. Their philosophy to like all the bullshit that goes on in the hall is, well, we need a liaison so they understand what the what our kids are going through. Like, they never took the time to actually appreciate and understand. Whereas Jeff, he adopts it fully, and it's representative of his teams. And like, look, at, imagine you ask a West Point player, like D Jeff asks them to do anything, they're going to do it, like no questions asked. Whereas what we've become is this, you know. I hate to say hugs and love culture at the Naval Academy, but like they only care about how much they love the coach rather than results-based, whereas Jeff is results-based but also ingrains himself into the culture, and I think the results are a product of it, if that makes sense. 100%. All right, we'll get back to that, but um, that's that's all I have for the intro for Bobby Doyle, everybody. Um, Bobby, tell us the uh, Ricky Bobby Doyle story. Bro, I did not. This was this was a. I feel like it was my fault, but it was it was Chad Peterson's fault. So, the Ricky Bobby story, which has come up 
several times on this podcast is one of my favorite but horrible Coach Johnson memories. So it's like right after the season, after our freshman year, we're sitting in Bellino prior to workouts and, you know, everyone's got to vote on, you know, regular season MVP, you know, all through the list of like, hey, player voted awards. And then we get to, to JV. So like the freshman, sophomores, all of us, all of us scrubs that played JV, we had to vote on JV MVP. And so I guess Chad Peterson decided it would be funny instead of just to write Bobby Doyle wrote Ricky Bobby Doyle. And we all vote, we go to workout, you know, we're having our workout. And then I don't know if it was coach brass or like the whole offensive staff, like comes storming into the lot or into the weight room. And they're like, JV getting Bellino right now. And all of us are like, what the fuck did we do? And so PJ kind of fucked with us. Cause he's like, who wrote Ricky Bobby on the piece of paper? But what he didn't say was who wrote Ricky Bobby. Like it was literally my name with Ricky. It was just a funny thing. And so PJ gets really offended. He's like, all right, which one of you motherfuckers wrote Ricky Bobby on that piece of paper? And he gave approximately two seconds. He probably had a bad day that day. That's what I'm thinking. And then he was like, I'm going to take it out of here. Here we go. He he must have, because I'm not kidding. It was, it must have been two and a half seconds maximum to give that person a chance to fess up. And he says, I want to know who wrote Ricky Bobby on that piece of paper. For JV MVP, like he like took a breath and he goes, "Well, then I'll see you on the field." We're just like, "What?" He's like, yep. "Get your ass on Rip Miller right now!" And he just ran the dog shit out of us. I need to get Chad what? Peterson on this podcast so I can understand why he just fess up so he didn't Bro. Want to do that. Well, he did finally fess up on the field. I know. And so- afterwards, dude, do it up front. <laughs> Dude, wait. he fessed up and he's like, he's like, all right, coach. You know, you see that, right? Coach, it was me. I wrote it. I'm sorry. He's like, well, you know what, right. Chad? I I like your honesty. Now let's wear it out. <laughs> Just yeah. beat the shit out of us for another hour. Like a tramp. Now, back to the the original Bobby Doyle story. What's your story, mm-hmm. dude? Coming out of high school, like, what are you all about? Yeah, dude, my, my story is pretty simple, man. I mean, there's it's nothing crazy. Um, so I'm originally from Chardon, Ohio. It's a, a small town on the east side of Cleveland. Um, grew up there. My dad was a football coach. So basically my life growing up was just surrounded by football. Um, I was raised by an option coach. I was an op, like I was from a kid, like a young, you know, elementary school, middle school kid, just triple options in my life. I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I grew up watching Air Force football. Like, that was, like, the holy grail in the 90s as a kid of watching football. So, like, I always, like, had, like, a part of me wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. It's like, oh, man, it's, it's, like, exactly what I love. So, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, played football, ran track, uh, standard high track? school kid stuff. Uh, I was a 100-200 guy. I, I okay. didn't run So, far. sprints. Gotcha. You know, Running back type track. Yep. Yeah, it was it was honestly just for football. So basically, I was like, well, I got to be able to run. So I want to learn how to run good and fast. So I ran track in the off season specifically for football, as I realized like, hey, that's probably my my ticket out of here. Um, so you know, led it all four years. I get to my you know senior year, get recruited around. I didn't even know. I honestly didn't even know what the Naval Academy was until Same. Jeff Munkin showed up in my high school. 
Bro, so Jeff like, Monk, I thought the Army Navy game was like, yep, my recruiting coach, my position coach. Uh, like, literally, I, I didn't know what the Air Force, well, I knew what the Air Force Academy kind of was because I watched their, you know, I watched them growing up. But like, I thought the Air Force Navy game or like the Army Navy game was like dudes just like random platoons or, you know, dudes off a boat, like getting a exactly. uniform and playing football against each other for, I didn't know what the fuck it was. Same here. So Munkin shows up one day. Yeah, dude. And it's, I, I love that like we all have the same perception and I feel bad because like there's so many people that like dream their whole lives to go to these institutions and we're just like, what the fuck's the Naval Academy, you know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, Jeff Munkin shows up in my high school one day um, and kind of the rest is history. I visited a couple times, spent some time with, with Munkin. Um, I actually preferred to go to Air Force. Um, I was getting recruited by Air Force. Um, and then I kind of like put a line in the sand where I was like, all right, what am I going to make my decision? So my senior year, I went to the Air Force Navy game at uh, Indianapolis, had a fucking awesome time. It was like a shitty weather day, you know, in, in typical Air Force Navy fashion. We went on like a last second field goal. This was back when like the crowds were actually like fun. Like it was a great experience. And I was like, was that the like, year that Bobby batted down the uh, last minute end zone? You know, Bobby Mack. Oh man, was that a, a year? That would have been. That? It would have been. Oh, it would have been oh five. So that would have been Bobby's senior year, right? I think so. Or was that the year prior? No. Uh, so it was. Oh uh, five. Oh five. It sure. would have been. Yes, it would have been oh five. So yeah, that was the game I was actually at. Nice. And I think I actually remember seeing because all of you guys, all the Napsers were there as well, and I was like, Jesus Christ, these motherfuckers are big as shit. Like, what the fuck? So, yeah, dude, um, went to that game, had a great time, and didn't know what I was getting into, but I was like, dude, I want to play good college football. And that's how I ended up at the Naval Academy was, you know, coming off of, you know, a 10-win season, uh, you know, PJs turning things around there. And I was like, bro, I want to win in college. And that's why I chose to go to Navy over – I'm an Ohio guy, so, like, I was getting recruited by all those, you know – dirt ass Mac schools. I hate to say that, but like Toledo, Bowling Green, Miami of Ohio. It's like, bro, I could go play in front of like 10 people and win two games a year, or I can come here and, you know, play actual big time football, big rivalry games. And that was something that just like drew me in and, you know, didn't really understand what I was getting into, like admittedly. True. No, uh, was there a certain piece of the the recruiting process that drew you into that? Like, hey, I might actually win here. That was enticing. Some some honestly, dude. So the big thing was, I just remember, um, it was like one of those stupid recruiting magazines. And I remember like reading through it, and like again, I didn't know anything about the Naval Academy. So then, like, I actually start reading up on the Naval Academy. I see like, I'm just like, oh shit. A year ago, they just won 10 games and they were ranked 23rd in the country. You know, you know, Paul Johnson, you know, number one rushing offense, basically consistent. I'm like, I'm like, bro, this looks like this is like a big deal. Like, how did I not know about this? And then once I went to that game, saw the atmosphere, I was like, dude, this is completely different than anything I'm going to go to and, you know, play at in Ohio, you know, minus Ohio State, which I obviously wasn't getting recruited by. And I was like, this is like the coolest shit in the world. And at the end of the day, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go to a, I'm going to go to a college, no idea what I'm going to major in. 
And for me, I was like, bro, I was like, well, I go to this school. I'm going to get paid to go to school. I'm going to graduate debt free and I'm going to have a job when I graduate. Like, and then I can figure everything else out later. And that's kind of how I took it as I blindly made a plan for <laughs> my 18 year old. Nice. No, that's, uh, makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, my mindset was very similar in that with, you know, once you graduate, you got something to, you know, try and figure out. Cause right now in your, in your young age, you're probably not going to figure it out. Right. Um, yeah. Cool. We'll keep going. So, yeah. So, uh, end up, you know, coming to the Academy. I'm like a, like you said, I was one of the direct guys, which, which was hard because, you know, coming in, not knowing anything about the military, number one, having no idea what I'm getting into. And then like seeing like these naps dudes who are just like closer than you can imagine, which was, I think it was Andy like talking about how hard it was to break into that. Yeah. But the coolest thing though, was how open you guys were to us direct, you know, nerds who, you know, had no idea what we were doing. And you guys kind of took us under y'all's wing to make sure we succeeded. And then also just, you know, you guys helped the socialization given the, the circumstances immensely because, you know, we're all just, you know, a bunch of scared little 18 year olds, whereas you guys had so much experience and, you know, that helped me a lot, at least, you know, uh, I remember, you know, I was sandwiched between Ram and, and Jordan, you know, pretty much, you know, 32, 33, 34, you know, so it was, it was awesome to like have, you know, to be invited into like that camaraderie from the established relationships already. And so, yeah. you know, getting to the Naval Academy, not knowing my ass from my elbow. Um, I struggled a lot the first two years. Honestly, didn't know if I wanted to stay. Uh, and then basically, Neomot broke some NCA, you know, regulations. For me, for me, Kevin, Wyatt, and Andy, who all asked for our lease on the same day, he said no, and we didn't know, like, oh, this is, we can't do this. And so, you know, fast forward four years, graduate, and, and here I am in the Marine Corps, dude. Like, it's, it's weird to look back on, but it's, like, I don't know how to explain it in, like, a, you know, a couple sentences or, like, a, a small portion, but it's, because it's such a blur at the end of the day. But it's it's something that uh, you know I wouldn't trade for anything. It's it's hard to just kind of like sum up and you know piece together of those four years there, if that makes sense. Gotcha, makes total sense. This whole uh, naps versus direct thing is is kind of growing on me a little bit, and I think that there was a bigger um, thing to be said. Was there a certain like moment where you kind of broke through? You know, coming in direct versus the NAPS crew, like, hey, I'm glad I did this coming in direct. Or I'm glad I paid attention to this coming in direct. No, I, I wouldn't say there was a moment because honestly, there was no like, there was never like any like line in the sand of like, hey, this is us, this is them. It was very opening. It was very eye opening to begin with. But I mean, like, it's just like stupid shit. Um, I mean, like, moments that I'll never forget, like when it comes to like nap. Yeah. 
and it's like naps and like naps and direct thing like when like me like realizing like who certain dudes were like i remember steven tripp and curtis bass fighting in the locker room one day and i was like Man, what the fuck is going on like why are what is wrong with these two and you got ram you know sitting naked in the locker room for an hour waiting for the superintendent to show up you know just not understanding like who the fuck is this ram kid like what is he doing like what this is like the weirdest shit in the world but like there was i don't know there was never a moment that was like all right cool you're you're part of the team now it was just like it was immediate and like it was growing into that uh like growing into your guys's group but there was never a moment where it was like, uh, okay, cool, you're accepted now. Like, no, you guys were gotcha. awesome and in- instrumental, honestly, in keeping those direct guys there. Because all of us, dude, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We're just like, yeah, it's like someone help help me, help me. But no, you guys, you guys were awesome as far as yeah. getting us getting us through that place. That's how it works nowadays, right? You know, just gotta work through it. Um, yeah, man. So that was the football story. And then you graduated, you went to, you know, you graduated uh, Marine Corps um, yep. pilot, right? So you went through the whole TBS thing and now you're flying. Yep. How's that going? Yeah, dude. I mean, it's going. Um, it's been weird. So I, I you know, again, it, it's been an awesome career. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for anything, but like, the thing that's weird about like the aviation community is like uh, so few of us went aviation. So like I'm super jealous of like stories that like you, Andy, Mike, and like especially like the Marines. Just is I'm a Marine, so I'm gonna gravitate towards those stories. But like how many times like you guys have crossed paths in your career? And as an aviator, like dude, I don't have that, and that's that's been like my biggest downside to it it's an awesome career i've moved everywhere i've done a lot of cool shit but like what i haven't had is like crossing paths with like the bros um throughout but as far as like uh career wise so yeah i graduate um like you said with ross andy brian um did the tad thing for a year and then after that went to tbs and then i started my fucking Basically, I was like in I was in states for like a year forever. So like Texas is now my ninth state, I think. Yeah. So bro, I've been everywhere. So I went to Florida uh, for part of flight school. I selected jets. So then I had to go to Mississippi for a year and a half, which was terrible. After Mississippi, uh, I selected Harriers. So I went to uh, North Why was Mississippi? Uh, say again. Why, why was Mississippi horrible? Bro, I've got stories about Mississippi like. I, there, there's very few things about my career I'm really mad about, but giving high, a year and a half level. of my mid twenties, dude. Yeah, high level. Bro. All right, so here, here's the here's the story I tell about Mississippi that explains Mississippi. So, I moved to Mississippi. I'm in Meridian. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm in the middle of fucking nowhere. I'm listening to the radio, and I hear there's a crawfish boil, and I'm like, well, fuck, I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna, what else do you do in Mississippi? I'm gonna go to a crawfish boil. So I show up at this place. I'm all excited. I'm like, dude, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I, I pay my money. I get my big ass plate of crawfish. I see an empty seat at the table. I sit down and I'm asking these dudes. I'm like, all right, man, someone help me how to fucking eat these things. I don't know what I'm doing. So these two dudes are showing me how to eat crawfish. And after like 10 minutes, I'm realizing that people are walking in and they're like scowling at me. And I'm like, what 
the fuck did I do? Like, it's like families, like young kids are like looking at me weird. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And so that's when I like look up and realize like straight up out of like Selma, Alabama, this room was segregated down the middle. It's like there was a line in the middle of the fucking room and I was sitting on the wrong side. Bro, I was like, I have never seen some shit like this in my entire life. What is happening? And basically, I finished my crawfish and like, I'm going to leave now because this is the creepiest shit I've ever seen in my life. But it was like, it was like accepted. And I was like, what is this? And that's kind of like what a year and a half in Mississippi is like. Gotcha. Well, cool. Had to ask. So after Mississippi. Oh, yeah. After that. Yeah. So after Mississippi, um, I selected Harriers, so I had to go learn how to fly Harrier. So I got sent to Cherry Point, North Carolina for about a year. But I wasn't going to stay there. I knew that I was going to get stationed in Arizona. So I had to go to North Carolina for a year, uh, finish, uh, learn how to fly Harriers, and then move to Arizona. I spent three years in Arizona uh, with my fleet squadron there. And then after that, I went to Miramar. So I was in California, San Diego for three years, and then finished that tour like we talked about, accepted continuation, and now I'm a T-45 instructor uh, down in Kingsville, Texas. Nice. Yeah, Kingsville was the uh, yeah. it was the regional track meet area for my uh, high school back in the day, so I remember Kingsville. Really? Yeah. Yep. Really? How far, how far are you from, like, because we live in Corpus, but uh, obviously Kingsville is like, you know, 45 minutes away, so where, how far did you actually live from there? You know where Austin is? Austin, Texas. Yeah, I'm like 15 minutes outside Austin. So, yep. Uh, but everything, oh, okay. kinda, All right. you know, our, our region kind of, you know, it was the South region. So, um, yeah. Hmm. How, how is flying Harriers? Like, you know, I took the test to be a pilot. I failed it. You know, I was like, kind of like, but heard about that. I was like, man, I, I really wanted to fly something. That'd be cool. <laughs> and now, you know, I flew, I was in a, you know, a commercial airline uh, a couple of days ago. I'm like, I'm all queasy getting up here in the air. I'm thinking, holy crap. How does Bobby do this on a day to day? Dude, and, dude, you get used to it. So it, it's one of those things. It's funny you say that. Cause like most dudes, when they start flight school typically get airsick, but it's one of those things. Like the more you do it, it just, it vanishes. Um, and there's, there's some dudes who just can't do it. And it, it, uh, you know, it will actually not allow them to fly certain platforms, but typically like if I don't fly for like a month or so, and then I get in a jet, like that first flight, I'm just like, bro, I don't feel good. It's not cool. But like you just, you adapt to it. it it's, it's honestly crazy. My first flight in flight school, it was the same thing, dude. I felt sick and I was like, bro, I'm not going to make it. And then, you know, I did it the next day, the next day, the next day. And it's, it's just one of those things you get used to it. It's like driving where it's, it's weird. It's uncomfortable at first, but then it becomes essentially sec- second nature uh, overall. How often are you getting inside of the jet? So here it's different. Um, when I was flying Harriers in the fleet, uh, not a lot. So I would say in the fleet, you average flying two, maybe three times a week-ish. Um, here in the training command, because that's essentially all we do is fly we fly we're scheduled to fly twice every day five days a week so nice. so you're uh, weather cancellations maintenance cancels. 
You're pretty much say that again. You're you're pretty much Maverick. Teaching people. Oh, I don't know about that. I would. <laughs> so I'm we, teaching we people. Watched, but I, I'm not teaching people cool things. We we watched the first movie. You know. You know. 15 years ago we watched the second movie like a year ago and yeah so are, you, are you trying to emulate that in any way no man i'm just i'm just here to party i'm just here to have fun and, and fly it's just a job um it's cool don't get me wrong but like no I, i'm not doing cool stuff like uh like top gun i'm just i'm flying an orange and white jet like more or less teaching kids like literally number one like how to fly a jet and then we get into like some tactics ish stuff but it's really just like the basics like hey like put your left foot in front of your right foot to walk kind of thing all right so um you know bobby you have a a favorite story of a coach you know like a, a fun time out on the field during practice time where you know you, you remember this certain coach thing who'd that come from it's probably monkey but. Now, when you say favorite, do you mean favorite like I enjoyed it or it's uh, just no. something that sticks out in my mind? Like Something that sticks out in your mind like I remember this. Maybe it was traumatic. Uh, let's see. I, well, I have my – I remember my welcome to college football moment 100%. What was that? Um, my welcome to college football moment uh, was actually – it was like plebe year. I had just moved to ABAC because, again, I came as a quarterback – and I, I had just moved to ABAC. And so here I am. It's like my first my first couple practices. I get a pitch outside, and I get the fucking ball, and I'm fucking waving that shit around, just like running like I'm in high school. And this is like, I think, like parents' weekend. So like my family's at the fucking practice. And Jeff Munkin comes running up, grabs me by the face mask and starts screaming this ain't char no high we roll with the fucking ball high and tight here you fucking idiot you know whatever he said and i was like that was like my welcome to college football moment uh nice. when it comes to munkin um, and he was your another another monk he was he my was recruiting recruiter. coach and my position coach uh, nice yeah you. yeah so i yeah I've, I've had a relationship with munkin for a long time making it real you know uh yeah. So my other favorite Munkin moment was, and, and this is this is again why I have such you know I get so spool I get so spooled up about like the rivalry games, because this is how Jeff Munkin treats rivalry games. So I didn't realize how big of a deal Air Force was because again you know you know once you kind of commit to Navy you think like ooh Army Navy is the big deal and no offense to Army. When we were playing, they were kind of fucking dog shit. The real rivalry was Air Force and fucking Navy. True. So the Monday morning of Air Force week rolls around, and here's me as a as a dumb freshman. You know, I was fortunate enough to travel as a freshman, so like I was in meetings. You know, just essentially, as Nehemiah would love to say, I was on the road eating ice cream, just loving life. So, typically, meetings with Munkin were fairly jovial, back and forth. You know. You know, having good conversation. Typically, there's like a joke here and there. Air Force Week, on the other hand, and I have another story about this for the guy who who recruited me at Air Force. So, like, no shit. You remember our small little windowless meeting rooms? Like, the door would close. And Munkin sits down and doesn't say a word. Which is pretty rare, because typically he'd like to start off meetings on a good note. 
and he's like he would just he would just talk to the room be like you guys have met my daughter isabel right we're like you know everyone's kind of feeling awkward around the room yeah we, we know isabel why it's like well he's like let me tell you about isabel he's like isabel loves poly pockets Okay, this is weird. Why why are you telling us this? He's like, well, he's like, let me tell you. He's like, Christmas is coming up, and I got to buy Isabel Polly Pockets. The only way that I get to buy Isabel Polly Pockets is if I beat this team that we play this weekend. Because if we don't beat this team, I don't have a job. And if I don't have a job, I can't, beat, I can't buy Isabel Polly Pockets. So if you guys want to lose this fucking game, you can come explain to my daughter – why she can't have Polly Pockets this, this Christmas. And we're just like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is fucking real life right now. And that's how, and I guarantee you that's how Jeff treats Army Navy. I guarantee you that's how he treats Army Air Force. <laughs> and there's a reason why there's a difference in the performance over the past decade. But hey, just say. But yeah, that's those are my Jeff Munkin stories about welcome to college football. Nice. Nice. <clears throat> well, um how do you keep your edge so like do you have a, a daily affirmation obviously you're doing good things you're, you're flying here you're you're teaching people now nowadays how do you keep your edge while you're teaching people and they're like this guy's full of crap how do you avoid that honestly dude i don't know i don't i don't have like a I hate to say like I'm not that deep of a person, but I, I'm honestly not. Like I'm just, oh, I'm, yeah, a, I'm a pretty like, you're deep, dude. I'm just, I'm a dickhead. I'm an asshole. I, I get all that, but like, what keeps me like grounded is that like, I don't even know how to put into words. Just like, yep. What, what keeps me going is like trying to make people understand like the mentality that you need to have to, in my opinion, succeed and do well. And, okay. um. As Cameron mentioned, because again, a lot of us are kind of out now, so you know, there, there's there's definitely been this mentality shift recently that I think needs to be brought back to earth, and that is something that keeps me going. Because it's like, dude, like, well, just like Munkin with closing the door, saying, "Hey, dude, like, do you understand what you're about to go do? Do you understand what this week means?" Same thing with with work now. It's like trying to like bring these dudes back, like, "Hey, bro, like." Do you understand like what you're here for? Like, do you understand like at the end of the day what your job is going to entail? Do you understand like why we're like rushing you through this program? Like, bro, like we're not training you to go to the Middle East and like drop bombs on dudes in, in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, no, bro, we're training you for like a big fucking deal. And so that's kind of what brings me back to Realistically, right now, yes. We're I mean it's it's we're training for the near peer threat and it ain't in Russia. All right. I don't want you to compromise any kind of secret stuff, but what are, no, no, what no, are no. There, there, there's nothing secret, dude. Like we're, we're, we're training these dudes specifically for the Pacific. Um, and like reminding these dudes, like, Hey bro, like I get it. We have a cool, fun job. Like, dude, you need to understand, like, there's a reason why we're rushing you through programs. There's a reason why we're getting you out the door. So just yeah. understand that. And the, the, the mentality needs to shift quick. It's like, bro, you ain't, you're not here to do fucking, you're not here to do barrel rolls. Like, bro, you are here to do some actual shit. So, yeah. um, that's what keeps so, me grounded is, is trying to bring, bring these dudes, 
bring like the new generation to like realism of like dude like i know i know this is like stuff you see in movies but like dude like this has actual no shit real world ramifications no doubt gotcha i think that's uh, enough there i'd like to keep on talking on that but i don't want to go too deep because we could keep on talking about that all oh day. no uh, oh yeah yeah for sure all right <clears throat> how do you stay self-aware how do you keep your self-awareness when all these things are going on and you're like i okay i'm gonna go back to my center i'm gonna ground myself i'm gonna mm -hmm. make sure what i'm doing is the right thing how do you do that <sighs> man that's that's a tough one how do i do that i think for me something i i try to i try to pride myself in is being just honest um i'm gonna tell you the truth when you probably don't want to hear it as i'm sure many people uh on social media know like i'm gonna say things that you potentially don't want to hear but you've probably thought at some point and i don't only do that um externally i tr I, I try to do that to the max extent internally as well like hey man like what did i do well this week what did i not do well like how can i um improve on the things because uh, in a day like i may seem like a like a callous person as cameron said that i'm not gonna you know reach out to you if you broke your fucking leg but i try to say hey i'm gonna reach out now like hey uh <laughs> how, how can i be better about that like i don't want to be just like a dickhead who's you know hurting everybody's feelings but yeah it's sometimes i think that's needed and and honestly i like that like i like when someone calls me out on my bullshit because i i think that's important because i'm going to do the same to someone else so if sure. someone does the same to me, like I appreciate that because I'm going to do the same to you. So um, I try very hard to look internally to make sure that like, hey, if I'm going to say something that I hold myself to that same standard because that's important. And true. Um, that that's what I try to do is never I never want to be the dude who's do as I say, not as I do. I always want to be the guy that's, hey, dude, if I'm saying something, it's it's coming from a place of like, dude, I hold myself to this standard and I have a reason for for doing that. And that's something that I try to reflect on, on, you know, having actual reasons for why I am the way that I am, if that makes sense. For sure. The, the price is always paying. Um, mm -hmm. We have a lifetime of evidence that we are wrong on a regular basis by Adam Grant. I don't know if you've read that new, uh, that book by him. I, I recommend it. I have a couple of, way, uh, couple of episodes back, but um it's a really good book and it, it tells you like how to double check yourself on some stuff mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds like that's what you're doing um, yeah man and again I've, I've never read that book but it sounds like um it sounds like it's good philosophy because i think that's important because i'm a i'm a firm believer that you as a human or you as a person as a man cannot ask something of someone or tell someone to something or tell something to someone unless it's something you're prepared to tell yourself if that if yeah. that's the right way to say it so like i'm never going to tell like my students my peers anyone something that i wouldn't be receptive to myself or look in the mirror and be prepared to say to myself as well for sure um another piece of adam grant from that book he says um if you haven't looked back and said wow uh, how stupid was I a year ago? Um, 
and how much you, you learn in that year. Like, if you look back in your past year, what's something that you learned and are trying to make better? Bro, that's <clears throat> that's so true. And it's, it's funny because I hate, like, feeling super old saying this, but, like, it's okay. 35 now, just – dude, just imagine – and imagine like this is this is my 34 to 35 answer like imagine your you know 23 to 24 answer or something but like so for me personally um where i'm at now so um you know uh i'm not married i don't have kids but uh, uh my girlfriend nancy and i uh we we moved to texas together so we moved from san diego to texas and it's been challenging and mainly because you know you know, Nancy, she's lived in San Diego for so long, moving to kind of no in middle of nowhere, Texas has been like a huge adjustment. And it's been a huge learning experience for us and our relationship. And for me personally, like looking at the last year, it's like, hey, you know, what did work, what didn't work and figuring out how to move forward successfully uh, in a personal relationship is kind of the biggest reflection I've had uh, over the past year, which has been a change for me because my younger self I, I would have been like dude i, don't I was about to ask else. you what is a successful relationship for bobby duel bro <laughs> that's a good fucking question uh, well it dude, sounds like you're on the right trap because when when i saw your face when you started talking about that it was a different type of light in your face no no honestly no like this this is the the first time in my life um that you know hey like i I'm willing to make concessions. Like I want to make concessions and I want to do like, Hey, what do I have to do to make this, this person happy? Whereas before, you know, I'll be completely honest, like very selfish, like, Hey, this is, this is me. This is what I'm doing. Like, if you want to be alone for the ride, like, sure. I don't care. Not, not necessarily. I don't care, but like this, this is me. Whereas now I'm at the point where I'm understanding and that like, Hey, like I have this person who's made an enormous sacrifice to leave everything in San Diego to come here to Texas for our relationship and what I've been trying to do going forward, um, especially for the last year, it was like a huge learning experience for me moving to Texas. I've moved a lot, so not a big deal for me. I'm just like, hey, I moved, it's not a big deal. Whereas I'm trying to reflect on like, hey, like this is, this is new for the person I'm with. This is new for the person that's here with me and trying to be more receptive and open to the things that she needs because it's it's not as easy for her as it is for me and that's been my biggest um i wouldn't say like growth point but honestly it kind of is because change yeah because yeah because before this like i wouldn't give a fuck man like to me it's like bro you came here you made a choice blah 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 but that's that's not my mindset anymore like now it's like hey like I understand what you've done. I appreciate what you've done. So how can how can I kind of grease the skids here to make this the most, you know, enjoyable for both of us? Because again, it's you know, it's not just like a one sided thing, and that's and that's been my my biggest growth and learning point um, over the last year, especially for us together here. At least, yeah. She must be a badass. No, dude, she's great. She's she's awesome. She puts up with me. So I mean. <laughs> Yeah, y'all, y'all, uh, y'all can imagine. <laughs> throughout all the episodes so far, I'm trying to call out the badass women that, that support this group because this group's uh, really tough to deal with. 
ladies. Dude, there's so many. And and while while I can, uh, Corey's wife Elisa hates me right now because of last weekend. So she is she is another one that needs to be brought into this because yeah. she despises me for last weekend. <laughs> well, tell Corey to get on here. I'm trying to get him on too. But... Dude, he's he's 20 minutes up the road. So I will go grab him uh, next week. Like we're gonna do New Year's together. So I'm gonna force Corey to get on this. Nice. Tell him to book it up. Let's go. Mm -hmm. All right. Here is the moment we've all been waiting for. What you got? Navy football. Just made a coaching change. Tell mm -hmm. me what you think about that. I'll, I'll leave it up to you to tell us where we're going to go from here. Well, where do you want to start? Um, if you want my opinion, I know this is going to hurt some butts here, but uh, it's a year too late. So I know there's there are these men of Ken, and I get it. I love I love Ken. I love Kenny Amatololo. He's he's a great man, but as a football coach and as a program, as a football as a program and, and as a program, like this this is not it has not been acceptable. I have numbers to back all of this up, but like my my question I would pose to a lot, and again, I don't mean to like speak in like generalities here, but like so. I feel like there's there's like a window. There's like the PJ guys who are like 100% behind this. And then there's like the, you know, there's the, you know, late 80s, 90s guys who are like very against it. And there's also the men of Ken who are like staunchly against this. And so the, like here, here's a question I legitimately would pose to these bros. So, so Tony, you work, you work in the, in the private industry, in like the actual public sector of, work let's imagine for a moment that everyone who loves kenny amatololo doesn't believe he should have lost his job let's pretend for an instance for for a moment that you own a company and you have a you have a department and this department has a set level of expectations yep. and they have a set way of doing things in order to meet those expectations yep. then all of a sudden they have now changed the process in how they do these things and now all of a sudden they're not meeting expectations. So you sit them down and you say, hey man, what's going on here? What are you doing? And they say, hey, hey, hey. We're, we're, we're changing the process, but don't worry, don't worry. The outcome's gonna be the same. But then mm -hmm. the outcome isn't the same. So for instance, at what point do you as an owner of a company finally say, enough is enough we are two and five against not only air force but also army do you realize that we have not won in colorado in 10 years we are a school with two rivals that's a big fucking deal ryan day hasn't beat michigan in two years and you know what they're already saying he's on the fucking hot seat so I don't want to like dumb down football, but it's really fucking easy. Offensive, offensive football. I'm sorry. No offense to Tony here. Offensive football is about two things. Numbers and angles. Navy football has devolved from the triple option to deter, to literally just be, hey, we're going to line up on the hash mark and we're going to run to the boundary, run to the boundary, run to the boundary, run to the boundary, run to the boundary. Run to the boundary. With the erase, just the complete deletion of anything counter option 
whatsoever. I'm going to cut sorry. in I'm here. Gonna, I can go all day. I know you can, so I'm cutting in right now. How do you feel about the shotgun offense? When it comes to Navy, it's bullshit. Can it be done? Absolutely. So just like I said, when I said, hey, we, we, have, we have this, hey, run to the boundary, run to the boundary, run to the boundary, run to the boundary. It can be done. So number one, what is the number one thing missing from this offense if you're going to run fucking shotgun is the fucking tight end. Do you want to know why Air Force can run the fucking shotgun option? Number one, because they understand how to use counters to where you're going to go, where, you, where the defense is trying to force you to go into the boundary. Number two, they use a fucking tight end. And number three, they recruit quarterbacks that can actually fucking put the ball where it needs to go at some point instead of just trying to recruit athletes that they think, hey, we're going to make this kid a quarterback. I'm case in point to that. I never played quarterback in fucking high school. And they're like, hey, bro, we're going to bring you in as a quarterback. I'm like, why? Why? That, that makes no sense. And it's the same thing here. We, we take a square peg and we're like, hey, let's just, let's just jam this into this round hole and it'll work eventually. And so when it comes to the shotgun, uh, I told Corey this, story la- or Corey this story last week. Do you remember uh, after, the freshman, after our freshman year, freshman year spring ball, do you remember when Paul Johnson experimented with shotgun in his offense in spring ball? 100%. How long did it take for him to scrap it? Two or three plays. Exactly. He wasn't stubborn. He didn't look at the end result and say, I need to, I need to get to that end result. He said, I want to see what works. So, and he accepted immediately, this ain't going to work. I need to move on. Here's my memory of that. Uh, I was playing linebacker, and I saw him behind the offense – and the offense was doing their thing and he was kind of like scratching his chin you know kind of like you know arms crossed scratching his chin on this thing and play number one goes by okay play number two goes by Mm. play number three goes by all right stop go back that's done throw it out of the book and it was done and it was done and that and again, there's very few people that would ever say Paul Johnson was humble enough for anything, but that was the humility that he had to understand. They're like, hey, what I want to do isn't going to work, so I'm going to move on and go forward with what I have that I know that works. How many times do you think Georgia Tech with Calvin Johnson, with legitimate fucking athletes, was running fucking shotgun? No, no, because you don't fucking need it. And – Again, I love Ivan. I love Ken, but they had this idea. They they had the finish line. They had the finish line in their vision. And they're like, "Hey, I see where it should be, and I I understand where it should be." But they didn't have the ability to accept that what they wanted wasn't going to work. And I, I get it. You want to put your stamp on something. I get it. But at some point, you have to be able to look at, at like, bro. It ain't working. I don't know what else you need to see. Can you imagine, like, you as a fucking linebacker saw a tendency sheet of this fucking offense? It'd be like, well, they're lined up in shotgun. It's going to be a quarterback fucking – it's going to oh. be a quarterback trap, a zone read, and running into the boundary. There's going to be nothing else. We all had our keys, man. Like, if, if they line up like this and people take steps in a certain way, this is going to happen. Then go. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and it's. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm, I'm just saying, like it's it's like it's case in point. Like, just look at our overall offense the last four. Listen to the last three years of offense we've had: 107th, 125th, and 124th. Like, what, what, what do you, as a fucking coach, need to look at? And be like, hmm, should we do something different or just keep doing the same goddamn thing? Like, bro, like, how how is this hard? I uh, I came across a, a quote the other day, and I was actually just trying to look for it, couldn't find it. But it was around: you got a problem, and you try and solve the problem, and the problem can't be solved. It becomes a fact, and a fact becomes something to deal with over time. That's true. And so the way I think about that is like, so, so like a fact is something to deal with over time. So the way I think about that is like, you can accept a fact and you have to adapt to it. So think about Darwinism. If you're an organism, you're forced to adapt to your environment. If you don't, you're going to fucking die. If you're an organism that attempts to adapt the environment to what you want to do, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fucking die. So the problem with Navy football is that they're an organism that wishes they could shape the environment to what they want. But, bro, it ain't fucking working. Like, you you can't change the facts of, like, number one, the recruiting is completely different. Number two, the offensive play calling is fucking terrible. Uh, how is the recruiting? Sorry, I'm just, I'm fired up. I know you're fired up. How, you said, how, how is the recruiting different? You want the real answer? Yeah, this is a real show. Don't be, don't sugarcoat it. Well, here you go. So the only reason I'm going to say this is because I had the opportunity to, to recruit, be a graduate, to be a graduate assistant. And I was responsible to recruit certain areas. Yeah. We want to hear it. This is honestly like my red herring. This is when I kind of knew things were going to take a turn. So I'll, I'll ask you this first, Tony. What do you think our class essentially, because again, we we're I hate to say we're a historic class, but who's the last class to never lose the Army or Air Force? I don't know. Uh, maybe one more class after. Oh, that's a that, – Nope, that's us. When's who's the last class to never lose us? Who's the last class to never lose us as at South Bend? Yep. Oh, that's us. So, so knowing that, like, so we have we have a good track record. What would you think the difference between us, like, our, us retards, than today's than today's bros? Money. Uh, I would say it's mummy. I, I, I'd say it's mentality because, again, here's the, here's the difference. So what I noticed with this staff, which really fucking rubbed me the wrong way, was they never asked the number one question. They were infatuated, in fucking fatuated with numbers. How big is he? How fast is he? You know, all, all of these, all these measurables, they never asked one of two questions. Number one, 
you know, what's his mindset? But the most important question that's never asked by college coaches, can he play? And I got this from my dad because, uh, so my dad was a, was a high school coach forever. And this was his biggest pet peeve with, with college coaches. And we, I actually have a, a great story to back this up. So we had this, we had this dude. And again, Keith, if you're listening somehow, I apologize for throwing you under the bus here, but I'm going to tell this story. So we had this dude in my high school. Uh, his name's Keith Jenkins. He was six foot four, 315 pounds. And the bro just had feet like a dancing fucking bear. He could move all day and literally he was getting calls from everybody specifically because of that. Literally Joe Paterno calling my father being like, Hey, we see you got this kid, Keith Jenkins. You know, he's, he's, you know, he, he runs like this, he does this. And my dad would literally tell these dudes, he's not that good of a player, man. He's not, he's literally not a good player, but they didn't care. So what happens is dude's a full ride to fucking Penn state washes out because he can't fucking play the game. And the problem now is this staff is fucking just, oh my God, he's five foot two and weighs 27 pounds, but he runs a four five. But well, shit, dude, that's why we're ranked fucking 125th in total offense. And it's just like, I, I just, I just don't know what it takes for the staff to adjust, which they haven't been doing. And I'm very hopeful. I mean, I'm not hopeful for Chet to make the correct decision in hiring, but I'm hopeful that going forward, we're going to make changes. But it is it is just eye-opening to see the difference from, you know, think about think about those 06 dudes, those fucking uh, the James Rossies, Dave Mahoney's, Tyler Tidwell's, like those bros, just these hard-ass motherfuckers. Like, do you think any of them were highly accoladed? Nope. Nope just there to fucking play and they're just a bunch of fucking ballers just meat grinders just fucking pipe hitters waking up fucking beating dudes up going to work and doing their fucking job oh and winning 10 fucking 10 fucking games a year you know yeah. just pedestrian and then here we are like now like oh we have to get the fucking sought after recruits like bro who the fuck cares man do, do what fucking works Recruit the bros, not only that want to be there, but they can just fucking play. Find dudes that just don't give a shit, that put it all on the fucking line, which we don't have anymore. Like, what, what game was it where we're watching post game and dudes are like laughing after the game after they fucking lose? Like, I don't know. Fucking me? My biggest concern coming into this was trying to like rein you back a little bit on, on what you were mm -hmm. wanting to say. And I was thinking, dude, Bobby's all over the socials like when things are going bad you're you're already way ahead of it uh on what you actually feel like what you're gonna say so um it's been good it, i just i just get really so and and here's the reason why i get worked up as i do and and it actually has meaning to like why i get fucking so spooled up as i do because at the end of the day think about like think about individually how much you fucking put in to that fucking program the price and then exactly so think individually how much you put into the fucking program and then think about your fucking your bros like how much did they fucking put in like dudes i think about are dudes like nishek dudes like fucking jordan like how many fucking surgeries does a dude have to fucking have to continue to do the same goddamn thing 
over and fucking over because it means so fucking much to them. And that is why today it still means as much as it does to me. And that's why I get so fucking pissed off and spooled up about it because it's very heartbreaking to watch what the something that we gave years of our fucking life to to devolve into what it is now. It's very upsetting to me. And it needs to change. It should be fucking different. And it's if it's not not a slap in the face, but it's disrespectful for dudes who gave fucking everything that they had to that program in order to put themselves in a situation to better their lives essentially forever. However, at a cost and it's just, it's like a, it's a thankless thing and it, it needs to be remembered of like the fucking shit that all of those dudes put in. Think about Blake. Think about Tyler. Think about Keenan. Think about all these dudes, Caleb fucking all of these fucking bros, man. They gave everything they fucking had, and it's not for this stupid fucking bullshit. It's, it, it was to be like, dude, like our mentality, at least from my perspective, was, dude, you're going to wake up on Saturday morning, and you're going to be like, bro, I don't ever want to fucking do that again. I don't ever want to fucking play against that team ever the fuck again. And that mindset, that mentality is gone. And that is why we needed to make a big fucking change, because with PJ, it was there. With Nehemiah. We we learn to hug each other, and that's great. But it ain't gonna win you football games. Who's gonna be the new coach? In my perfect world, or who do I think's gonna be the coach? Yeah, in your opinion, perfect world. What do you think? In my opinion, I think Newberry takes the job, keeps the job, mainly because of this. When's the last time you've seen a Navy football defense be this way? They're good. They're, the the defense is a the defense is fucking fun to watch, bro. Like I I love Buddy Green, I love Dale Pearson, but this fucking defense is something different, and it's it's a breath of fresh air. As as I, I hate to say it, no offense to you, no offense to you guys, but like, how many times over the past twenty years have you had to like hold your breath when the other team has the ball? Now it's the opposite, sure. where it's like, no, I mean, dude, I remember the the Texas. Uh, uh, the North Texas games, like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We don't see that yep. this year. We see a no, good, man. stellar defense. It it is not only not only is it a good statistic defense, but it passes the eye test. Like when's me personally? I don't know the last time I've seen a Navy defense like pass the eye test to this level. Where like, dude, I if I see a dude one on one, like I'm not worried, man. Like. I'm actually confident that we are going to make the correct fucking, like the actual right play. Like we're going to get beat here and there. Everyone gets beat like at the end of the day. But this is the first time that we have a defense that is on it is on like on a different level. Cause we, we honestly, I think we had a top 25 defense at the end of the year. So with that in mind, I think you keep Newberry number one, cause I think he's the only one that might accept the job and I think it's easier to it's easier to find because like if you want to keep the triple, I think it's easier to find a coach that will keep the triple here. And I think Newberry, just from what I see on defense, I think he has that mentality, mainly because where did Brian Newberry come from? Do you uh, know this, Tony? I don't, dude. I don't. He came I'm from Kennesaw. George, he came from Kennesaw. I was gonna say Georgia. He came from <laughs> <laughs> he came. He came from 
It's close, but he came from Kennesaw State. Who who, who is, who is a Kennesaw State? That is Brian Bohannon, my friend. If my in my perfect world, Brian Bohannon comes back to take the reins, but you lose Brian Newberry in that case. I don't think they I don't think they would, you know, do the the, the number one, number two again. But in an ideal world, Brian Bohannon comes back. He brings back Paul Johnson's offense. Um, he probably keeps one of Brian's, um, you know, uh, position coaches who who I admittedly don't really know. But I think a more realistic answer is you keep Brian, and then you poach someone to run your offense. If you want who I think should come back and run the offense, but I don't think will, I think you find a way to bring back Lamar Owens. I think if you're going to find someone to run your offense, if you want my opinion on how to change Navy football, change the face of Navy football, a lot of people are not going to like this opinion. But I think you have to find someone on the Air Force staff and bring them to Navy football. Why is that? Because they run the triple option better than anyone else in the country. As much as I, I hate to admit that, I hate to admit it. It's, it, it's not exactly the triple. It's not exactly the triple. I will say they run, they run the option better than anyone else in the country in more ways that we have not been able to replicate, that Army can't replicate. And the only way that you're going to be able to bring that, not only that, if you want my opinion too about Air Force quarterbacks, when is the last Air Force quarterback that you've seen that's not a fucking baller? I don't know. Like, dude, they they find ways to recruit dudes that we can't do. Like, we have to – like, again, we're, we're just putting our best athlete back there and hoping for the best. Like, they find the dudes. And so I think if you want to have the best option offense you can have, you bring someone from Air Force, you're not going to get their OC, but you, if you somehow poach their quarterback's coach, I don't know who the fuck he is. He's probably some Air Force graduate dickhead. I don't fucking know. Um, as much as I hate it, I think that's what you got to do. Gotcha. If you can't bring in Brian Bohannon. Uh, what's your biggest struggle today? What are you working on? Uh, biggest struggle? I'm not working on a lot, dude. I'm I'm just kind of like in the zone. Right. But my biggest struggle. No, I'll I'll give you something though, because I, I I wanted to talk on this actually, because I think Cameron said it really well uh, in the first podcast. Um, the thing I struggle with the most in today is relationships. And here's why, though. How many dudes do you meet in, like, your normal day-to-day that are, like, the guys that, like, so, like, you, me, Corey, Jordan, uh, you know, Lenore. Like, how many dudes do you meet that, like, are from our group in the world, like, in your, in your day-to-day? Not many. You don't, man. And... And that's what I struggle with the most is because at the end of the day, dude, like, I don't, I don't trust a lot of people. I really don't. Um, the only guys that I trust are like you guys because you guys are like my legit. I used to. I got stung a couple of times by doing that. Bro. So, yeah. Tony, that's like trusting a normal fucking NARP midshipman. You can't do that shit, man. <laughs> I'm working on it. Nah, man. That, that, that's what I struggle with the most is like, being myself around people because dude i don't trust people man like the only people i trust are the people that i know that are the same as me and that's it's tough to find nowadays true 
What's your price of admission? Oh, man, we got a lot, uh, a lot of drinking and talking to get to this point. Um, yeah, dude, I, I thought a lot about it because, like, I've had the the luxury of listening to everyone and kind of figuring it out myself. But I think Mike Matthews, in my opinion, said it the best. I think we have like a we're, we're a little bit different, but my price of admission, you know, Mike said. It, you know, it's keep, it's keep saying yes, keep saying yes, keep saying yes. And mine's kind of this kind of similar there, but my price of admission is the conscious decision to do something hard. Because at the end of the day, most people don't want to do something difficult. You know, you, you want to take the path of least resistance. You want to find a way to have things easy. And I think and again, I, I look at the price of admission from like a scope of like of us because that's that's what I think. You know, th- those are the dudes who I look at that have actually put in the price the, the same the same price that I have, and, th- and that's how I hope you guys look at me is like, hey, like I know this dude gave and did exactly what I did, and it's the choice and decision to do something hard because no one wants to do something difficult, and it takes a different type of person to consciously look at a situation and say, well, this is going to fucking suck, but I'm going to do it. And not only, not only do you make that, yeah, dude, like you make that decision. And what comes with that decision to me is, you know, not only, not only the middle ground of like what you have to slog through, but like you look at the goals, like, Hey, I've made the decision. I see the goal. And I've now accepted everything in the middle. And the only way to me, you're able to reach that goal based on everything that happens in between is you've made that decision prior. And there's not many people that can make that decision. And that's why, in my opinion, um, you know, the dudes that, that we came through with, like I look up to you guys so fucking much because not only did you guys get me through a bunch of shit but like i know that we got each other through a bunch of shit and you know it's so crazy to see like at the end of the day a bunch of dumb fucking neanderthal football players who made this crazy life decision 18 years old and you look at us now and it's wild to look back and just see like Dude, if like I hadn't accepted all of this, like I wouldn't have this group of people who, you know, understand me better than anyone else in the world. And it's it's a steep price to pay because again, like, dude, no one wants to to have you know a difficult time or put them willingly through a difficult time. But like, the person that does do that and chooses to do that is a is a unique individual, and that's what I think makes our group different. And I think that all of us should be very proud of that because, dude, everyone wants an easy path and we all chose something. Exist. No, man. Like, and, and that's, and again, back to what Cameron said to where, you know, you struggle with relationships because you don't find dudes like this anywhere else. And yeah. I am so super thankful that, like, you know, you guys have come into my life because I'm a better person because of it. And, 
I think like us as a group are just like where you, you know, again, Jordan, Jordan Young had a, had a good point where he's like, bro, like brotherhood to motherhood now. And like, remember when FIBU actually meant something like, dude, fuck everybody but us. And that mentality is what I still keep to this day. And like, dude, like for every single one of you guys, like, like you said, like, or like, dude, if, if you got to bury a fucking body, like, bro, let's go, man. Like no questions asked. And there's only a select group of dudes I would ever do that shit for. And it's because we're all wired the same. And it's because we all made that super fucking difficult decision when we were young to do something fucking hard. Yeah. I even, I threw that bone at Clint Bruce when I was talking to him on the podcast. And he's like, it's not the bone you're trying to throw. Um, It's not the people that you're trying to throw it at. They just don't get it. No, man, you're exactly right. Exactly right. But um, really awesome talk tonight. Really good. Appreciate your content. And uh, what's... Again, Tony... Go ahead. What's that? No, man. I, I just want to say again, thank thank you for doing this, man. Because you know, I I think you know everyone's kind of said this has been like therapeutic in a way, and I think I don't think you realize how big of an impact you're having on on all of us. Just not only to reconnect, but just talk about everything that's you know everything that's going on in our lives. But like you've. I'm like, thank you very much for, for kind of reinvigorating everything and, and bringing not only our class together, but like, again, like Clint Bruce, other dudes from the Brotherhood, man, like you're, you're doing some great things uh, right now. If not, if not for anyone else, at least for our small group of, of dudes, like you're doing some awesome stuff right now. And, you know, I, I thank you for it. Cause... You know what's awesome about this? It's not me. It's, it's you guys. Uh what I'm trying to do is connect the dots. So just tell people like Corey Finnerty and uh, Matt Humiston and, you know, Anthony oh, Piccioni to just book a time so we can talk. You got to get Ross. Have you, have you talked to Rossi yet? I did. You know, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to get him on here too. So it's I your like guys' it. story. Hey, hey and Jordan, yeah. I'm just – yeah, Dude. I need to get Jordan Young. I if you think, if you think, if you think, if you think, if you think I can rant, get Jordan Young on here. <laughs> oh no, that's gonna be good. <laughs> awesome. I right, did. Uh, we'll tell the family I said hello. And uh, good talk today. Do the same, man. That's awesome. Yeah, dude. Thanks again, man. Cool.